Welcome to the Aegeas podcast series, Studio 2030, in which we bring you big questions, big ideas, and big debates about the future and how we can all navigate our way towards success. We discuss the trends that may change the way we think about the world and influence our views on what's most important. So there's a lot to talk about. And welcome to the second episode of this podcast. I'm your host, Janka Vlerakers, and this time in this episode, we'll discuss the importance of sustainability with our guests, Hans de Kuiper, CEO of Egeas, and Luc van Liedekerke, professor at the universities of Antwerp and Leuven. Welcome, Hans. Welcome, Luc. Thanks for joining me. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we have uh, quite a topic to handle. We've been hearing about sustainability a lot in recent years and we'll be hearing much more about it in the future. And most of us think about it as it's all about climate change, but it also comes up in discussions, for example, about income inequality. And look, I'm looking at you. Am I already missing something here? Well, it, it is a misunderstanding to believe that sustainability is only about climate change, for instance. So if you take climate change, it will affect the way that people live on low islands, but the impact of climate change is, of course, social. And so if you want to change it, you need good governance. Mm -hmm. So if you look, for instance, at the Sustainable Development Goals, they contain 17 different goals, and they are about social, environmental, and governance issues all on board. And I think sustainability is integral. It is all this together. Mm -hmm. and otherwise, it won't work. Okay, maybe it's interesting to have some kind of official definition of a sustainability, something to start from. Maybe you can give us... A definition, Hans, to start off with. What is the definition of sustainability? Well, the most beautiful definition that I have found goes about organizing our togetherness as a society, but also realizing our personal ambition as an individual or developing our businesses, but everything in such a way that future generations keep the ability to do the same. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And, of course, if possible, even get more opportunities in the future. So it's all about not compromising the future, the future generation, our children. And with that, you have another element in there that for me, there is no limitation in the progress that we can make as a planet, as societies and as an individual related to sustainability. There is no such thing as an end state after which development would not be possible without destroying this planet and us as uh, human beings. But that being said, there are very serious limitations on how we go on that road. And those limitations, they become more and more urgent and they become more and more stringent. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Luc, do you have something to add to this description? Well, I support it completely. It's interesting. It comes from the UN from 1987, long ago. Um, but the thing what I like a lot on is the South African translation. So the South Africans, they talk about volhoudbaarheid. Uh, so this Dutch volhoudbaarheid means something that can last for a long. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, that I think also points out what is the arch enemy of sustainability is short-termism. 
anything to do with short-term thinking, be it in business, in politics, or so on. So that is really the arch enemy. That's what you want to escape from. In business, that would mean if you are totally driven by quarterly results as a business, that is a disaster, I would say, for business as well as for the world. And it is that which you have to throw away, the short-termism. Mm -hmm. We discussed long-term thinking in our first episode, so it's nice to hear that short-term thinking is the enemy in this topic. Absolutely. Let's now move to the business world. What role can businesses, large or small, play in this uh, topic? Well, one of the things you have to realize is the, the, the dominance of the business, the economic circle in our societies. If you look at the 20th century, uh, it is characterized by an enormous amount of growth of wealth. Um, uh, the thing is, business has created this wealth, but... In the beginning, I would say, not aware of the negative impacts it could have. And we, we didn't see it, and we didn't see it as regulated, we didn't see it as business. So the challenge will be to develop this economic system while integrating the negative side effects that you generate. That's the challenge. And I think we're on the road to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, in business, companies don't talk about sustainability, they talk about ESG. Can you explain me what that is and what's the difference between... Sustainability well, and ESG. Well, ESG stands for environmental, social and governance information. There is no no difference fundamentally. So it's simply a term that was developed by the financial markets in order to characterize uh, non-financial information from financial information. So if they look at non-financial information, they look at three dimensions, environmental information, social and governance information. And that is now widespread. And it's interesting to see how this changes, in fact, the way we think about the firm. The fundamental role of the firm is actually changing. It has a much broader role to play. And you find it also in regulation. You find it in law. Uh, that means that the pressure of sustainability is there. And it won't go away. It's very simple also in the legal structures. So there's a lot of pressure coming from different sides. Absolutely. Is it actually still possible to just ignore that pressure? I think if you continue to do that, and it used to be only in production sectors, but now also in service sectors, in the long run, you will be wiped out. The future will be sustainable or it will be not. It's as simple as that. So the pressure is coming from regulatory side, but also, for instance, from value changes. Let me give an example of value changes. Uh, there is this American organization on animal rights, PETA. Mm -hmm. So at one point in time, and it's a couple of uh, years ago already, they launched a, a short movie, one and a half minutes, and I spare you the movie, it's horrible. Uh, and it's about uh, rabbits, Angora rabbits. And you, the Angora wool that you make for sweaters and so on comes from these rabbits. And the way they collect the wool is they simply pull it off the animal. And all you need is Peter launching one and a half minutes screaming rabbit and the market is dead. Within a year, there was only one third of the market left. And that is what I mean by value changes. They have a huge impact in what you can do and what you can't do in this world. And this evolution is uh, uh, noticeable all over the world, not just in the West, but in also in other mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. And yet I can imagine that it's not always easy for businesses to, to balance this need for growth and financial performance with the need to play a constructive role in society and to minimize your environmental impact as well. Hans, is that not maybe too big of a challenge? Well, it is a big challenge, but the only way that we can really build a positive and a lasting impact on all the ESG topics is when business and sustainability would go hand in hand. We should not see 
um, ESG as putting the brakes on, on how we grow, how we develop as a person and also as a business. So all the stories of downscaling, stop doing things will not um, bring us very far. And I, I, I take one example that, that struck me is a few years ago, we had the topic of, of child labor and the poor buildings in Bangladesh where they make the cheap textiles. And at a certain moment in time, of course, there came a big outcry to stop production in Bangladesh. Yeah. Well, that's actually not the right answer. We've, very soon we got some feedback by the population of Bangladesh by saying, please don't do so, because it's the only and the main economy you have. So we would have a tremendous negative impact if we would fully mm -hmm. refrain from going to Bangladesh. And by the way, Bangladesh, I think today is one of, of the good examples how an economy and a society uh, can evolve in, in the positive direction in this uh, respect. And so the, the idea that sustainability will make your company underperform is completely wrong. If you look at the global stock index, where you have two versions, you have the version of the ESG known companies, and then you have the global index. Well, if you take the last 15 to 20 years, the ESG index outperform with not less than 37% the overall index. So you should not think that it is detrimental even for um, your investors. And I like a lot what the student movement and the NGOs are doing because it is very symbolic. Take uh, Greta Thunberg taking the boat to go to the climate conference in South America. It is great as a symbolic effect, but it cannot be part of the solution. We are not all going to take the boat to travel around the world. Another solution in the same context that I recently discovered is a Dutch company. There is a Dutch company, Zenit, who is now very advanced in the technology of biofuel, and they start producing kerosene for the airplanes by injecting CO2. And so the waste of CO2 that comes out of the kerosene is the same as they put back in. So imagine that even with kerosene, we would be able to become zero neutral in flying around the world Well, I think we all agree that's the type of solutions we need to find and that we need to further develop. And honestly, in all businesses, a tremendous amount of initiatives are already happening. Mm -hmm. Luc, can you add something to this? Yeah, I've been working in the world of sustainable business for over 30 years and I've become less and less convinced that there is an opposition. There is no opposition. The companies I worked with, they combine both dimensions and they grow. Yeah, So there are literally hundreds of studies in which we can show that strong ESG companies, so the companies that have a very strong influence in terms of sustainability, can at the same time be the big performers of their sector. So mm -hmm. there's absolutely no opposition if you do it in the right way. I don't say that it's easy. I think it takes time. I think it takes energy, but it can be done. And it is more and more the case that uh, that it's done. The other thing is, if you want in the war for talent in the future, if you want to attract young people, it's very simple. Huh? You will have to be a sustainable company because their values are not the values of the older people. So their values contain sustainability issues from the start. They will work for you. They will be motivated to work with you if you are doing it in the right direction. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, the interesting thing, if I look back in these 30 years, is that I've seen progress in most sectors. And that's the fascinating part. So it's, uh, it's actually becoming more and more of a mainstream product in many sectors in our economy. 
Thank you. Let's finish this part with this positive takeaway. Efforts towards more sustainability shouldn't only be seen as a duty. There are also open doors to new opportunities. That's my takeaway from this part. What is yours, Hans? Well, I, I can be very short. The question is not, is it sustainability or business? Is it sustainability or my personal development? No, it's and. It is mm -hmm. sustainability and growing your business. It's sustainability and personally keep on growing as an individual, as a society and as a planet. Welcome back. We have been talking about ESG in part one of this episode, but we also have the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goals, 17 calls to action defined by the United Nations in 2015 to end poverty, protect the planet and ensure that by 2030 all people enjoy peace and prosperity. But before we dive into these companies, I would like to take it back to our personal lives and see how sustainability is implemented in your daily life. Hans, I'll start with you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised eh, when sustainability came on the radar, but then it was still called green eh? and uh, switch off the light when you leave the room, put your waste in the bin, don't heat too much and take your bike if you can. Eh? I'm raised with all these incentives given by uh, my parents. More recently, I, I remember very well my seven years in Malaysia, um, where I, with the team, we were very socially engaged and, and at multiple occasions, I went with the team into the jungle to, uh, to paint schools uh, for the children there and to make sure that they could get the proper education. And these are moments in life that, that you never forget. And today, I would say I rather think, okay, how can I leverage my view on ESG out of my role on others, mm. our employees, our clients and the companies we invest in? Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you. What about you, Luke? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything special. I still eat meat, so my, my daughters hate me for it, but I still do. <laughs> but if, if anything, so one of the SDGs that people don't look at is about partnerships. I, I think, well, to be, uh, to be very short... You cannot solve sustainability issues on your own. You need partnerships that go beyond the traditional partnerships. So what I did, and for more than 30 years I've been in sustainable business, is building partnerships mm -hmm. across fields that are usually don't talk to each other. And that includes academia. Uh, we were very much in our uh, ivory tower, and now we are slowly, slowly getting out. And I think it really is important to have these partnerships. Back to business now that of service-based companies in particular. It's quite easy to imagine that companies who produce computers, stuff, physical products, have to work carefully to not have a negative impact on our environment. But what about service companies, service-based companies? Look, what can we do? Well, I think there are two misunderstandings here. One is that sustainability is about environment. There is no such thing that you can... Um, isolate environmental from social and governance issue, it's always connected. That means that service-based companies, they offer products, and these products can be either sustainable, can be good for society, or they can be negative for society. You know, for instance, if, you, if your service consists of uh, providing fiscal advice in order to escape any tax laws, you're actually long-term destroying society. It's as simple as that. So that is really a product that is inherently dangerous. Hmm. So 
whether you have a f- fantastic new building that is completely green as a service company specialized in tax advice, it doesn't matter. It matters how responsible are you in your tax advice. And how do you think about long term, what it will generate? That is the issue. Mm-hmm. So it's the product that matters. It's the product. And it always has a sustainability impact, always. Hans, do you believe insurance can be a sustainable business? Well, first of all, I have good news because we are in the top three biggest tax players in Belgium. So uh, there, <laughs> I think we, we fully we fully comply <laughs> as, a, as a business. But uh, no, look, insurance is a sustainable business by definition. What we do is we bring peace of mind so that citizens, clients can live, consume, invest freely. In uh, 2024, we will exist 200 years. Our company is older than Belgium itself. And that you can only do if the business contributes to society. Otherwise, it would be impossible uh, to survive so long. And 100 years ago, in, in 1919, we were also the first company to launch complementary pension scheme for the white-collar employees. And that was even before they got the right to have a legal pension. Uh, so they first got a complementary pension before they got a legal pension. And more recently, we take up our social responsibility, uh, look at the natural disasters which are happening more frequently and more impactful, uh, and recently in our own country, um, Belgium, where we really provide cover. And we have even doubled uh, the cover that was uh, provided in the law to make sure that everybody get uh, fully compensated and pick up life as soon as possible. Luc, what do you think? Is GIAS on the right track here? Well, I'm not sure whether I'm the best place to, to judge that. What I will say is that you, if you worked, uh, as Hans explained, for 200 years, it's very likely that you are not a short-termist. Otherwise, you don't survive for 200 years. It's as simple as that. At the same time, I would say uh, what needs to happen is always you have to develop your products along two lines, on the financial line and a sustainability line, and you have to judge these products from both lines. That, I think, is a process that is ongoing within our years, but can be strengthened. And it is precisely in the context of that strengthening that we, as from a university perspective, work together with AGEAS in the context of a chair. A chair means that AGEAS uh, um, sponsors us for four years in the context of a PhD, uh, understanding the sustainability impact of their products on the one side. On the other hand, even stronger integration of ESG in their investment side. So these are the two sides of the company. On the one hand, you have the insurance products which you sell to people. On the other hand, you invest. And these two sides, we try to strengthen through this chair. Mm, can you tell me a bit more about your motivation? Uh, well, Professor touches on, on two very important topics. Huh? What can we even do more to stimulate the transition of others into ESG? And there was an insurance company we can do a lot we invest approximately 70 billion well we challenge now all the companies we invest in on their esg progress that they are making so can you imagine with 70 billion we can create a tremendous leverages on all different kinds of industries mm-hmm. and on top of that we are as far as i know now the first insurance group stating that by 2024 we want at least 25% of our products contracts and customers have embedded in the products some incentives 
to make their mm -hmm. own contribution to ESG. And I name a few examples. If you take a motor insurer, that you can get, for instance, some premium reduction in case you commit to drive less. Mm -hmm. In a home insurance, that you get incentivized to make your home energy efficient. Or a company placing their pension scheme of the employees with us, that they also get automatically access to well-being programs and, and burnout prevention for their employees. And so there we take the commitment that 25% of our revenues will have those incentives for customers. Mm, I was very happy to learn in this part about the many concrete actions your company is taking, Hans. Are there any takeaways for our listeners? Well, well first of all, I think two key words uh, for the service sector is um, it is all about stimulating a transition. Huh? We can do a lot of things ourselves, but we are not the big industrials. But we can incentivize many others to go on the same road, the companies we invest in and the contracts that we offer to our customers. Let's focus in this last part on the S of social in ESG, the impact on society. That is what we will be talking about. Let's perhaps first identify the main challenges in this domain. Luc, can you give us an overview? Well, I think that um, um, if you look at the societies today, aging population, you cannot neglect it. So that's uh, one first challenge, which means that the health needs of these aging populations will be different and will be very prominent in the future. Uh, we're talking about one and a half billion people, uh, aging people within within 30 years in 2050. Rising social inequality, increasing middle class, very much connected to wealth creation. So when societies grow, become richer, almost unavoidably inequality increases and you get a larger middle class. That middle class lives in a different way, has different needs and different risk needs. And that's precisely what you want to adapt to. And the last thing is uh, absolutely increasing urbanization. Again, very different uh, life circumstances for people. And uh, cities will, will be the dominant players in the future. And they are huge. Um, they pose all kinds of challenges and the uh, sustainable city will be a topic that uh, insurance will have to address. And how can an insurer address some of these global issues, Hans? Well, aging population is, of course, directly related to our business, eh? specifically in the area of life and health um, insurance. Um, and this element has a link also to the E. Because uh, you often hear about the topic of overpopulation. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to control the birth rate, the first thing to do is provide an adequate social security system. And you will automatically see the birth rate going down. For the very simple reason that if you do not have any retirement savings organized for you or by yourself, your children is your own social security at elder age. Mm -hmm. And we see that in every single country. Um, and so that is what we built specifically, for instance, with our businesses in Asia. In, in most of the countries in Asia, we are building this long-term savings market uh, for the citizens um, in those countries. And then, of course, S has also an element towards employees. Mm -hmm. For our employees, um, of course, we have the topic of diversity, we have the topic of equal pay, uh, but we also have the topic of quality of work. Yeah? 
Uh, it's a very actual team today. Uh, we often talk about technology and it will replace uh, the human being um, behind the screen. Well, we don't see it that way. We believe that technology will help to improve the quality of work that the person has to do in the future. And we also have extended that even in programs, well-being programs that we mm -hmm. offer to our corporate clients so that also they, again, that transition and that incentive so yeah. that they also can improve, I would say, the well-being uh, for all their employees. Yes, yeah, so you already gave some of uh, the solutions I wanted to ask you about. But which barriers are still standing in the way of further progress then? Um, well, first of all, um, technology comes in slowly, so it takes time. We, we need to um, invest um, a lot of money. Um, and on many topics, it is also um, expertise, huh? underwriting expertise. We spoke already about some of the risks impacting our societies. Huh? We spoke about the flooding. These are new types of risks we are exposed to. Huh? Another uh, problem, for instance, uh, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, you will see today, is almost not insured in the world because it is such a global risk. Yeah, mm -hmm. that in, as an insurer you have to ask yourself how can I diversify this risk because a data leak, a hacking could happen all over the world at the same time. So, yeah. the, the new way of living, the new way of, of working, technology, data also, as has always been in history, bring new risk exposures. Mm -hmm. And as an insurer, we always will have to invent proper coverage for that. Yeah. Are we missing on one of uh, the barriers, Luc? Well, well, it's always difficult to predict you know, these barriers, but the challenges are, are multiple, but there are the possibilities for progress also. Uh, so one of the things you have to keep in mind, if you look at a market like Asia, where uh, Gaz is now operating, we're not talking about millions, we're talking about billions of people who still need insurance products. And, and you have to reckon that insurance is one of the biggest inventions to, to uh, make the quality of life of people better. One should be aware of that. But there are many, many million people who still have no access to that. So low-cost insurance is a huge market. It's a huge possibility, and they are active in this. You need to adapt to local situations, because it's not the same to offer insurance here in Belgium as it is in Malaysia. It's a different country. It's a different background, different culture. So there's a lot of challenges, I think, and a lot of barriers. But local knowledge is, I think, one of the one of the uh, key barriers. We have almost come to the end of this episode, but to finish off, gentlemen, could you give us your own takeaway, your main advice for organizations that want to contribute more to a better world and in this way also secure their own future? Luc, could you go first, please? Well, I, I would say don't be afraid of sustainability. It's really an engine for innovation. Well, people talk a lot about innovation, but my experience is if companies set up this mindset of a sustainable way of thinking, they start to think differently about products and impacts and all kinds of things. And it's really an engine for innovation, for adapting. And it's one of the reasons, I think, why we see that these strong ESG companies actually outperform the weaker ones. Now, if you do that, you have to be aware of where the impact leads you. And you have to collect the outright data, more data probably than you do now. And I'll give you just one example that we developed with Ageas. We looked at a, a project that they did. Uh, they built schools in Belgium. They built like 182 new schools. That's a lot. Well, for Belgium, small country, it's actually in Flanders, so it's a really a lot of schools. 
And the impact is enormous because you, you better the circumstances of our teachers as well as students, and we actually can see that you have fewer dropouts. Now, if you have fewer dropouts, they have a diploma at the end, they have better labor circumstances, they have more stable lifestyles. So it, it goes on and on. Now, now, usually as a company, you don't see that far. But I would say, if you want a sustainable mindset, don't be afraid to look really far of where our impact is, and you will see that you concentrate on the right products that really have a positive impact on the world, and that, I think, is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And being aware of this impact gives sense and purpose to a company, something that only can inspire further projects. What are your key takeaways, Hans? Well, first of all, I want to end on a positive note. Eh? Um, if you so. look at the facts, the world has never been a better place to live as it is today. And let's not forget that. And it's also one of the biggest misperceptions. So that is something I want to get straight. Uh, but at the same time, we are facing a global threat. And we have to be very much aware of that. But I'm uh, very positive. I'm convinced in the flexibility of the human mind to, to once again find solution for this. And And what I see happening now is that ESG is not in conflict with business anymore. All the businesses, all the industries uh, that I get in touch with, you see that they are embracing um, ESG and putting ESG um, on the radar. And we as a service company, we can stimulate that transition. We can stimulate it in the companies we invest in. We can stimulate it with our customers. So for us, ESG is at the heart of everything we do. Thank you very much, both of you, for providing such great insights and giving us some concrete examples on this broad topic. It was a pleasure talking to you, Luc, Hans. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Studio 2030, brought to you by Aegeas. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information on Agias, please check out the company website at agias.com.